Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghost of Pirate Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 204 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today, we'll be discussing chapter 60 of A Storm of Swords, that's Tyrion 8. And as always, we're going to chat about the chapter, we're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you, and hopefully, we're going to provide you some entertainment along the way. Weird, actually. So, Sansa was the longest break we've ever had between two POV, and now Tyrion is the shortest break we've ever had, because it's only two chapters. (laughs) It's almost (laughs) back-to-back. Uh, we'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes for interesting information about the characters and geography of this chapter. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. How about you? I I have nothing to complain about. My life is a bed of roses. That's right. That's what you say. You, mm-hmm. you've, you've made this uh, proclamation before. That yeah. life is too good for you to have things to complain about. So Exactly. Uh, I am so lucky. I'm so blessed. Um, I will say, so Rob mentioned when he was on that the Hornets remember faces. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So he is. he wants to issue every exterminator in Raleigh with a, a mask of me. <laughs> that they can use... Whilst <laughs> dislodging, <laughs> so you will become public enemy number one of bald, of bald faced hornets. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, uh, that, that's a, uh, that's a really scary thing, by the way, that he brought that up. I mean, yeah, yeah. As if they weren't terrifying enough. Have you have you seen them? Did you look up one? I, I, one I, I saw I saw one glance, and that was enough. I didn't need to see any more. Yeah. They're terrifying, and they're carnivores. That's, yeah, you know they're not like honeybees. You know, well, I don't know. I don't think they make honey. I, I don't think I don't think that's something they do. But they don't even do like nice, useful things like make honey. They they eat meat. Well, are they carrion eaters? Do they eat, like you know? Because if they eat like dead things, that's kind of a service to the world. Uh, I'm not sure about that bit, but I know they eat other bee. Like they'll take other bees. Back to their lair. That's not good. Yeah. No. Okay. Put them in their dungeons and torture them, probably. Well, uh, my 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 life, my joy, Carson, has had a horrible bug bite on her arm. She was showing it to me the other day, and it was it's kind of like bulged up where she's been bitten. And she said, what is that? What, what happens when it hatches? And I said, huh. we will look after it as if it's our own, dear. <laughs> she liked this she liked this very much she she stole this joke and told it to multiple people <laughs> that's how you know when someone really likes your joke exactly when i remember in college uh you know stacy and i started dating in college and we met through uh, my roommate he was in class with her he was in her major and they were on a project together and then they were meeting at our apartment and that's how i originally met stacy but I remember, uh, this was a long time ago, so I don't remember the specifics, but 
I was telling telling her some story that had happened. Oh, I remember what it was. I even remember what it was. Do you, you know pointers like those um, laser pointers? Yes. Well, back in the day, they just they were like little pens, and they yes. had a red beam that shot out. Yes. Well, we we met, randomly came across one. My my roommates and I. I'm not even sure how we ended up with it, but we were seeing how far we could shine it, and we were shining it like way across campus, like into windows and stuff. And lo and behold, uh, the police showed up. And um, at our door, because they someone thought that I was shining, uh, pointing a gun with a laser pointer, oh, you yeah. know, like a laser sight, whatever. And, and so the police showed up and were like, do you have a, a you know, a gun with a, a laser scope or whatever? And I was like, no, it's just this laser pointer. Mm-hmm. And they, they were like, oh, well, quit doing that. You're freaking people out. It's the benign part of that equation. That <laughs> yes. <have>. Yes. <laughs> yes. Can't do anything more than point it. Um, and so I was telling Stacy the story and she's like, wait a second, your roommate told me that story happened to him. And I was like, that, that, that was all me. That happened to me. <laughs> so he liked the story so much that he claimed that, uh, that had happened, that he has, was the one that was, that had this happen. <laughs> Interesting. So who's telling the truth, McKelly? It was me. It was right. me as far as we all know. <laughs> if he has his own podcast we'll find right. out the truth yeah. <laughs> ah, he wasn't even there when that happened <laughs> he was off somewhere so anyway yes that's how you know when you've got a good story when someone copies it and uh, uh-huh. runs with it <laughs> speaking of stories we had a, a bit of a an incident last night Stacy and I were we were watching Righteous Gemstones are you watching that show? I Danny know McBride. it, but I have not watched any of it. Very funny show. We're we're very much enjoying it. My sister turned us on to it, and, and very much enjoying it. And we were watching halfway through the season two finale, and Molly comes back. She had been at the mall with some friends, and then because this is the end of summer, they were going to have a end of summer before school starts. They were going to have a, a sleepover. She was having two friends stay the night. And she comes in. That's such and... Americana, by the way. Just the whole thing. She went to the mall, <laughs> sleepover for the end of summer. It's like, yeah, that's Americana right there. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. It is. Uh, she comes in. She's got her a, a shoe bag, a, a bag from a shoe store okay. with her because she was supposed to be buying school shoes. Okay. School, school, shoes uh, school shoes shopping, probably another Americana thing. Oh, and that <laughs> happens worldwide, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so she comes in and Stacy's like, you know, we were going to reimburse her. She's showing us the shoes. Stacy says, how much were they? She tells Stacy how much. Stacy goes to you know, transfer the money over to her, you know, electronically style. And Molly goes, well, you could just just you could just not transfer me the money um, because um, something just happened just now. And uh, her best friend was trying to do a three-point turn in the street and on the backup part of the three-point turn smashed into the back of Ethan's car. Oh. And she just so casually, we're like, how was the mall? Oh, it was good. It was good. Huh? Oh, you got shoes. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, I got these shoes. Yeah, they're they're nice. How much were they? Oh, they're this much. Oh, and by the way. Uh, was in the friend's, friend. the friend's car, not Molly's yes. car. Okay. No, the so friend was, was driving right. and right. she... You know, she did. She was trying to do a three-point turn, backing up portion. She slammed right into the back of Ethan's car. So, mm. put a bit of a damper on the night. But uh, you know, it was a 
honest mistake. And uh, th- actually, I went to the um, uh, auto body shop, the collision center today, and the re- the repair cost was significantly less than we thought it was going to well, be. So uh, I'm glad was... to I'm glad to hear. Yeah, but uh, was it was it more or less than a pair of shoes? It was a good bit about about maybe fifteen pairs of the those particular <laughs> shoes. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, Ethan was so cool about it, and he was like, "Oh, it's you know, mistakes happen. It's okay. You know, is she is she all right? Is everything okay?" And um, I was talking to him on the way to the body shop today, and I was like, "Wow, you were really cool about how about you know handling that the car situation." And he said, "Well, so." It, what happened was Stacy found out. She goes berserk, calls Ethan, who's upstairs, shouts at him to get down here right now, and hangs up. And so he comes down thinking he's in trouble, only to find out, oh, I, okay, Some, somebody else. <laughs> yes. So he was just relieved that he wasn't the one. <laughs> so, to him, it was a step down from what he was going through his mind. <laughs> We have a slightly similar story, actually. So so um, my son, um, as you know, works at a local Target. I do um, know. And and I don't know if this has been mentioned on the podcast, but he's dating a lady. I did not know this. Uh, yes, he's, he's dating a lady. And she just started at NC State. And okay. he was helping her furnish her room. So she went to Target to shop. He gets an employee discount. Right. And he has... Yeah. He has target card that belongs to us which he uses uh-huh. but he gets the discount on top of that so when that card gets right. used we get a decent discount so yeah. he came home and he said all right if you see a big charge on the target card <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know where this is going and i'm already laughing <laughs> he said he said he said yeah so we were furnishing her her dorm room we bought everything she needed but don't worry, she's reimbursed me through Venmo. And me and Carson are both like, but hang on a second. <laughs> it's not your account. Exactly. <laughs> you don't pay that bill. <laughs> Did you ever see the movie Reality Bites with Winona Ryder? Yes. Do you remember she got a gas card from her parents and that was all they would give her was the gas card? So she waited outside the gas station and bought everyone who came through his gas and got cash from them. (laughs) (laughs) My my son has latched on to this idea. Right. Maybe he's seen that movie recently. I was like, I know how to fill my bank account up. And uh, he did find his he, – he lost his phone at work, and you and I tried to uh, troubleshoot the situation. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it worked beautifully. And do you know what's funny, actually? The next day, I lost my phone. So he lost his phone, and the very next day, I lost my phone. And when we lost his phone, it was a rigmarole and real stressor for everybody in the house. When I yes. lost my phone, I told my Google Home to make my phone ring – and I immediately got a call from my friend, Tim, who said, oh, your phone's here. Oh, huh. well, there was, you go. <laughs> he was like, that, you see, is how you do it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Let's get down to business. How did yes. we leave Tyrion Lannister? Last we saw of Tyrion, he was getting nowhere implicating his bereaved wife, Sansa, and was plotting to marry off his lover, Shay, to Sir Tollard the Tall, a hedge knight who has definitely noticed her. Since then, uh-huh. we've seen his wedding gift to Joffrey chopped to bits and his respect for his nephew drop ever lower. McKelly, why don't we give the summary of this one? Um, and it, this one should be good because it wasn't us. It wasn't us. That's right. This summary comes courtesy of Genevieve. So thank you very much, Genevieve. I've, I've read through it. I do know that it is a very good summary of a very, I don't want to say interesting, a very good chapter. It's a terrific chapter. Yeah, yeah, it really yes, was. Terrific. Yes. So here it goes. In the Great Sept of Baylor. Just an aside here. Do you think, <laughs> do you think English people have less hangups about positive adjectives i would I've, I've been thinking about this as a theory that americans find positive adjectives a little bit harder to say oh. you see, i'll say terrific and lovely and charming and delightful i just say those there's perfectly but americans it feels like they're a little bit narrower and they feel a little self-conscious saying those Lord. words i would have never thought self uh I mean, I've never thought to be self-conscious about the word interesting if it hadn't become a thing on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Which I believe your brother pointed out originally. He he was the originator of this, yes. But he's English, you see. It backs up my theory. (laughs) Anyway, so in the Great Sept of Baylor, Tyrion watches on as Joffrey and Marjorie are wed. Marjorie is adorned in the Tyrell colors, a maiden's cloak of gold roses on green velvet instead of the black and gold colours of her late husband, Renly Baratheon's house. King Geoffrey dons a cloak of Lannister crimson, blazoned with the stag and lion, a gold crown on his head. Tyrion fidgets where he stands, uncomfortable with a sleepless night, courtesy of Shea, and a full uh-huh. bladder, courtesy of the wine. Tyrion can't help but let his thoughts wander from the wedding. He muses about the Valyrian steel dagger that was used in Bran's failed assassination. With his new comprehension, he strikes off previous suspects. Not Jaime, not Cersei, but Joffrey. Tyrion remembers his time back in Winterfell and recalls how Joffrey would have the means and opportunity to commit the crime. Amidst the chaos of King Robert's visit, Joffrey would have no trouble picking out the dagger among Robert's possessions, then paying some free rider to kill the boy. But why? All Tyrion can come up with is Joff's innate cruelty. Anyway, the wedding continues with seven vows, seven blessings, and seven promises. Tyrion watches on with indignation as the exchange of cloaks occurs without event, bitterly remembering his own farce of a wedding. Joffrey kisses Marjorie as the High Septon pronounces them wed. The ceremony over, the procession leaves the Sept, with Prince Tommen as flower boy. Outside, the small folk gather to cheer the king and his new bride. Tyrion and Sansa offer their congratulations to the happy couple. On the journey back to the castle, Tyrion thinks about how beautiful Sansa is and how grief only amplifies her beauty. He offers to bring Sansa on a visit to Casterly Rock, thinking how there would be no safe places for dwarves once Joffrey becomes king in his own right. Sansa returns with her usual, if it will please me to please my lord, making Tyrion feel like he'd have better success talking to a brick wall. Back at the castle, Tyrion takes a long-awaited bathroom break and gets ready for the wedding feast. He can smell the opulence. You know what? Speaking of bathroom breaks, your pedantry last week was, was there enough restrooms at the Sept of Baylor? So here we go. (laughs) Maybe the line was too long. Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, 
Uh, he can smell the opulence and stark juxtaposition to the fighting in the Riverlands. He considers the recent deaths of Rob Stark and Balon Greyjoy and thinks about how the War of the Five Kings is all but over. Later, Tyrion and Sansa enter the throne room for the wedding feast. Tyrion admires how Sansa flits about the room, exchanging polite social niceties with the guests. Sansa would have made a good queen to Joffrey, should he have had sense to see it. Lady Elena Tyrell comes over to tell Sansa how beautiful she looks and to offer her condolences, straightening out her hair and hairnet. Joffrey and Marjorie enter the dining hall on large white horses, and the feast begins. Joffrey makes a toast to his new wife, and the crowd cheers. The food is served with 77 courses to come. Tyrion looks around the hall, watching the merrymaking of the other guests, while contemplating the sullen affair between Sansa and himself. He calls for more wine as the singers start to perform. As the singers sing, Tyrion considers the fate of another singer, Simon Silvertongue, who wound up in a bowl of brown. Otherwise, the food, wine and entertainment flowed throughout the night. Soon enough, Joffrey calls for the royal jousters. A pair of dwarves are ushered in, one riding a pig, the other a dog. The dwarves present a mock image of jousters wearing painted wooden armor and carrying shields and lances. They amuse the crowds as they battle. Shenanigans ensue as the dwarves' act becomes more and more raucous. Joffrey, drunk on wine and mirth, stands up and mocks Tyrion. He commands that his uncle fight the dwarves as the king's champion. Everyone now laughs at Tyrion. Glorious and very drunk, Tyrion rebuffs his nephew. The crowd falls silent, awaiting the king's reaction. Anger growing, Joffrey dumps a goblet of wine over Tyrion's head, calling him the imp. Trying to defuse the situation, Marjorie insists that a toast will be made. Joffrey retorts that he has no wine for a toast and commands Tyrion to serve him wine. Humiliated, Tyrion refills the king's goblet. Lord Tywin then announces that the pigeon pie is being brought out. Joffrey calls for Sir Ilion's sword to cut the pie. It is not lost on Sansa that his sword is no longer ice, her father's greatsword. Together, Joffrey and Marjorie cut the pie, releasing a flight of doves. Tyrion, drenched in wine and having had enough, tries to leave with Sansa. But before he can leave, Joffrey is back, taunting him. Drinking more wine, Joffrey starts shoving fistfuls of Tyrion's pigeon pie into his mouth. In between bites, Joffrey soon starts complaining that the pie is dry and tries to drink more wine. This endeavor does not go well for Joffrey, who ends up in a coughing fit. The more he coughs, the redder his face turns, spluttering up wine and pie. Joffrey clutches his throat as the crowd fears that the king is choking. Joffrey's fingers begin to dig into his throat and pandemonium erupts in the dining hall. Cersei runs to her boy, who's slowly turning a violent shade of purple. Tyrion muses that he had probably had the better wedding in comparison. He tries to find Sansa in the crowd, but she's nowhere to be seen. With the maesters and Kingsguard powerless to do anything, Tyrion dumps the rest of the wine in the king's chalice out onto the floor. Joffrey's Joffrey's face is now turning black. When Cersei screams, Tyrion knows that it's over. Before he can think, Cersei commands the king's guard to arrest him for the murder of the king. Okay. Well, well first let's thank uh, Genevieve. That was yes. a great summary. Yes, so. and, and also I think she's more and more she's catching our voice because the yes. word shenanigans in there, I was like, mm, that's, <laughs> that's what we would have I- said. I like flight of pigeons. Yes, I, yes. I, I looked that up. That's a that is one of the terms for a group of pi- pigeons, a flight of pigeons. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah. Now, I, I want to say before we start that I like to think of myself as a decent person. And despite all evidence to the contrary, uh, <laughs> but I would like to take a moment to just thank the heavens for the death of Geoffrey Baratheon, because if anybody ever deserved it, it was him. Yeah, you know, when when I finished the chapter, the, the song Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead ah. started playing in my head. I, I, can't, I can't believe that you mentioned that. I almost put that in the notes myself. That's, really? Yep, absolutely. The same song. Exactly the same ah. song. I wonder but, if anybody else had this phenomenon uh-huh. happen. Um, there's a German sort of like a sort of electronic star called Klaus Nomi. And he has a version of that song, which is the one that actually sang in my head. I'm guessing it wasn't the one that you were thinking of, but <laughs> probably not. <laughs> this was the same. <laughs> okay. You, you know, as much as I wanted to rejoice, I also felt, I felt bad about the relief because he is a child, you know, he was what, 13. And that's. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to be nice, but it's hard. Um, it's it's tough to rejoice in the death of a 13-year-old boy, even if he was a pretty awful person. I, I remember our conversation with Dr. Honda and how uh-huh. there was still room for, uh, for, you know, for him to improve. But right. we, we said at the time that given the environment he was in, there was no hope of that because he was yes. already the king and nobody was countering his worst impulses and that's what he needed someone to counter his worst impulses so he was only going to get worse the realm yeah. is better off without him i'm 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 sorry to be so relieved you're probably right you're probably right and yeah. i i'm relieved as well and pr- probably if everyone in that throne room is being honest a lot of them are relieved as well cersei would be an exception yes Tommen, so Tommen's an interesting one. I mean, he's only a kid. He's lost his big brother. But I mean, presumably he had a... Brothers tend to have a sense of what another brother is like. And he probably was like, oof. <laughs> yes. Not yes, only am I the king, but phew, we got rid of that guy. <laughs> I'm sure it was a bit, it's a bit complicated in little Tommen's mind yeah. right now. And one more shout out to Melisandre's leeches. Oh, Yes. He called three. She had. She burned three leeches and has killed three kings. Or she saw three kings die in the fire and just went through a masquerade with the three leeches. Possible, right? Yes. But yes. Again, she was planning to kill Edric Storm and use right. all his blood. What the heck was she going to do with all that? <laughs> I guess what? take out the great other. Well, one we know she was going to bring the stone dragon to life. Well, that's true. Uh, but... maybe, maybe that takes up a good portion. Yeah, of, uh, but the I mean, it's extraordinary what she did with the three leeches. So, I mean, yeah. I, I would be very careful with my blood around her if I had it. Yes, royalty. absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, when Stannis gets word of Joffrey's demise, he just might reconsider poor Edric's fate because, you know, he was already a little bit considering it. If I were Edric, I'd be like, you can have a couple more leeches for sure. Knock yourself <laughs> out. <laughs> You could have a whole pint if you feed me some cookies. <laughs> I, I will say, I think it's kind of funny how how warmly welcomed Renly's ghost was at the Battle of the Blackwater, but uh-huh. how 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 shunned he was at the wedding <laughs> of his widow to Geoffrey Brad. He was doesn't appear to have been invited. No, I guess no, no, no. <clears throat> but, and you know, but actually, just a thought here: she doesn't have to change her last name. 
she was she already doesn't... Marjorie Baratheon. Now she stays Marjorie right. Baratheon. Now she she came to him in a Tyrell uh, maiden's cloak. So does that mean she went back to her maiden name in between? Well, maybe, but Baratheon kings. Uh-huh. Maybe so. <laughs> and uh, uh, speaking of cloaks and and uh, Baratheon kings, did you notice that Joffrey? was wearing red on red at Joffrey Baratheon was wearing red on red as far as his doublet and his, uh, you know, clothes, uh, and those of his clothes. And you're telling me those are Baratheon colors. They are not Baratheon (laughs) colors. Okay. (laughs) They're very much Lannister covers Uh, colors. I see. I see. Hmm. Yeah. You know, speaking of also Marjorie, you know, showing up in her maiden's cloak, Tyrion wonders whether she was indeed a maiden. And Stannis, back when he parlayed with Renly, commented that Marjorie is still likely a maiden being married to Renly. So, right. You know. if, if gossip is to be believed, then he would not have been interested in uh, consummating the marriage. And Joffrey certainly didn't get a chance to, so she may right. still be. Yes. Twice divorced. Uh-huh. Or. Twice widowed. Twice I widowed, guess yes. Yeah. And uh and possibly still a maiden. And and I also noticed that Joffrey was called out by both houses, Joffrey of Houses, Baratheon and Lannister. But Marjorie was just Marjorie of House Tyrell, no mention of her high tower mother, Allery. So, you know, they're they're really pushing this, you know, two houses thing with the king. Yeah, well there's there's no Baratheons there to fight for his Baratheons. Yeah. Yeah, it's the only thing that gives him legitimacy to the throne. Otherwise, they might just drop the name entirely. Oh, yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. So we we talked a lot last time about the dagger and how Joffrey reacted to the mention of the dagger. Um, Tyrion, and, and you said at the time, we didn't know exactly what Tyrion was thinking because it wasn't his POV chapter, but here we are. Now we know what he right. was thinking. He was... Uh, he remembered the sort of history of the dagger and how it was used in the um, assassination attempt on Bran. Uh, and there was no doubt he saw something in Joffrey's look to make him think that Joffrey was involved with this dagger. And also right. f- enough of a look to make him, at least in Tyrion's mind, clear Cersei and Jaime of involvement. Yeah, he, you know, uh, his his rationale was that Jaime would never hire someone else another man to do his killing for him. And Cersei wouldn't be dumb enough to use a dagger that can be traced back to her. Right. And I think both of those are true. I think, I think that's, uh, I agree with that observation. And, uh, yes, but, but, but it does leave the big question. Why would Joffrey do it? Right. Joffrey is a, that Joffrey's is a mean spirited and horrible person, but only to what's right in front of him. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. 
Right. Yes. And I think Tyrion's case is pretty weak when it comes to the Who. And mostly because it's still unclear as to why the Who, if he had a good reason, if he had a good motive for Joffrey, I could maybe get behind this. But we, at least as of yet, we have not heard a good reason as to why, other than just his general cruelty. Right, but his general cruelty doesn't 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 express itself in convoluted plans to murder other people. It expresses itself right. in lashing out at what's in front of him. Yes. Now, the, direct attacks. Right. There is a motive for Joffrey to do this, but the motive would only exist if Joffrey knew something, which we don't believe Joffrey would know. There's a the motive for Joffrey to do this is to silence Bran about what he saw. Right. Which is why Cersei and Jaime have always been uh, prime candidates for this. But there's no way that that Joffrey would know at what Bran had seen. There's just no right. way. That doesn't make any sense. It does not. It, we have never gotten the indication that Joff knows or believes, if he does know, that his true father is Jamie. Right. I mean, think about, think about, so let's, let's, I'm going to pull a name out of the hat here. The Hound. The Hound knows why Bran fell. He knows that Cersei and Jamie were having sex, were disturbed by Bran, and pushed him to his near death. The Hound tells Joffrey all that. Joffrey can't process that information. He's too young right. to understand it. Yes, rationally, a good thing for Joffrey at that point would be to kill Bran so that that secret, which goes to his legitimacy as the heir to the throne, dies with Bran. But there's no way right. that a 12-year-old boy figures that out. He'd be too busy going, shut up, not my mom. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're lying. Exactly. So it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. a weird thing. Yeah. So... Uh... I could give a real brief history of the dagger and you know where where it's been and, and what we know about it. If you think that would, would help helpful. me, okay. Well, as we know, it began with the cat spa trying to kill Bran, right. and then being defended by Cat and killed by Summer, and then Cat made the assumption that the Lannisters hired the man and that Bran must have seen something he shouldn't have. He that she then goes to King's Landing. To tell this to Ned. Quick interruption, please. I'd never thought of the fact that the cat's paw injured cat's paw. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Carry on. I'd never either. Mm -hmm. So she goes to King's Landing to tell Ned about everything that's happened with this dagger. Littlefinger intercepts her and tells Cat and Varys that it was his dagger and he lost it in a bet to Tyrion, who had bet on Loras Tyrell versus his brother Jamie in a uh, in a tilt at a name day a name day tournament for one of Joff's birthdays. Cat then later takes Tyrion prisoner at the end of the crossroads and on the trek to the Eyrie and Tyrion insists that he never owned the dagger and that he would always bet on Jamie. On Jamie, that's the one thing I always remember him saying. He would never bet against Jamie. Now the dagger from from Cat in Ned's meeting, the dagger went with Ned. He keeps the blade. And then when Littlefinger betrays Ned in the throne room, Littlefinger grabs the dagger that is sheathed in uh, Ned's 
a belt, I guess, and puts it to Ned's throat. So now the dagger has moved into Littlefinger's hands, which apparently is where it began in the first place. Uh, then when Tyrion arrives in King's Landing, Littlefinger offers him the dagger and Tyrion declines. And that's when Tyrion realizes that Littlefinger is aware that Tyrion knows that Littlefinger lied to the Starks and blamed him. Mm-hmm. So then later at the very beginning of this book, Storm of Swords, in the River Run dungeons, Jamie admits to Cat and Brienne that he pushed Bran from the window, but denies Cat's charge of hiring the Cat's Bod to kill Bran. Jamie then also backs up Tyrion's claim that Tyrion would never have bet against him during the tourney, which again contradicts Littlefinger's claim that Tyrion won the dagger from him by betting on Loras. Jamie also remembers that the dagger did change hands and remembers Robert displaying it at the tourney's feast, which indicates that Littlefinger lost it to Robert, not to Tyrion. So that's all the convoluted history of the dagger so far in this story. Which, which puts it in Robert's possession at the time that it was used, and therefore Joffrey's ability to get hold of it is real. And But, but you've yes. got to imagine that all those people who came north, there probably wasn't a lot of security around the king's possessions during that journey i mean some but not that much so it's pretty much anyone who was on that journey could have been involved really yes and Tyrion tells us in this chapter that robert was uh generous to a fault with his possessions and would have given it to joffrey had joffrey asked but he might have given it in a drunken stupor to anybody you know they might have just given it to someone and then forgot or you know, they probably weren't all that well guarded, as you said. So someone might have just taken it. Yeah. But his rationale, by him, I mean Tyrion. Tyrion's rationale for Joffrey selecting the dagger feels a little bit confusing to me. Maybe if we discuss it, we can uh, we can sort it out. But the whole case is based on Joffrey's prior knowledge of Valyrian steel's sword, of Valyrian steel. Mm-hmm. He had said. He knows it's sharp. He remembers, you know, he's familiar with it. Yet here in this chapter, Tyrion decides that Joffrey didn't know about Valyrian steel or he wouldn't have chosen Littlefinger's dagger. So did he or didn't he know that it was Valyrian steel? And if he, if Tyrion decides, no, he wouldn't have known about Valyrian steel's Valyrian steel, or he wouldn't have chosen this dagger, does his rationale still hold up? I mean, there wasn't, a, even within Robert's possessions, there wouldn't have been a lot of Valyrian steel hanging around. This dagger would be just about the only example. So for Joffrey to know anything about this, he would have to know about this dagger. So yeah, you're right. Yes. Tyrion can't be right on both of these things. He's either. They contradict each other. They absolutely do, yeah. Either he knew it was Valerian steel when he gave it to the cat's paw, or he didn't know it was Valerian steel and therefore doesn't know about Valerian steel unless it's about something other than this uh, dagger. Which seems, but but then he wouldn't have been suspicious when he said, "I know Valerian steel." He would only be suspicious if he knew about this dagger and knew how this dagger had been used. Yes, yeah. exactly. So now, possibly he meant that. 
Joffrey realized it was Valerian steel, but didn't know the particular history of this dagger, or else he wouldn't have picked a dagger traceable back to Littlefinger. Maybe that's what he meant. That's the only way I could could put that together that made sense, yeah. that still holds Tyrion's uh, uh, case right. together. Well, I'm hoping we get more, because I'm not convinced. I mean, Tyrion seems convinced, but I am still... To me, to me, the very big lack here is motive. There's no, the, yes. there's no logical motive. There is a motive, but the motive that exists can't possibly be known by the perpetrator, Joffrey. Right. That right. doesn't make any sense. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It doesn't. It's uh, now, I mean, Tyrion's just coming up with this idea. Maybe if he had more time to sit on it, he'll, he'll poke some. He was here with us now. He'd be, you know, spitballing. He'd be like, yeah, (laughs) see what you're saying, guys. Yeah, it doesn't quite hold up. Right. He's not. He doesn't have anyone to bounce this idea off of. But he does think that now Joffrey knows that Tyrion knows about the dagger. And he thinks to himself, my big mouth is going to be the death of me, which is the same thing that Tywin told him uh, just a few chapters ago. So, you know. So anyway, back to the wedding. Tyrion is uh, worried for Marjorie, um, which... It's interesting that that thought comes at the beginning of this chapter that ends the way it does, because that does go right. to potentially a motive. Let's assume Joffrey is murdered here. There is the possibility he uh-huh. simply choked on pigeon pie because he kept stuffing his face. But let's assume <laughs> right. let's assume there is murder here. One of the the Tyrells have been quite sanguine about their daughter, granddaughter marrying this man who they know to be a monster, and. Joffrey, Tyrion, sorry, is worried for Marjorie, but the Tyrells never seemed right. that worried for Marjorie. Maybe the Tyrells are the instigators of all this, and they they never worried about her because they never they knew she would never have to face a wedding night with him. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, she also has Loras on the Royal Kingsguard, but Loras is sworn to protect Joffrey. Right. That's why it's called the Royal Kingsguard. Yeah. Not necessarily... Uh, the queen against Joffrey. And, and we'll learn sometime in the not too distant future about how Mad King Ares treated his wife, Rayella and the quandary it left for the Kingsguard at that time. I will say, um, I was going to say, but then as I thought it through, I didn't actually hold up that the king would never invite the Kingsguard into the wedding chamber. He would leave them outside, especially if it was the brother of the bride but then I remembered who we were talking about, and Joffrey might right. very well invite Loras inside to witness what he was about to do. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And all that said, if Joffrey were to have hurt Marjorie, I don't think that honor would have stopped Loras from defending her. You know, the honor of the Kingsguard vow. I, I think he he probably would have broken that vow to defend now, her. You do see the value of this whole wedding to the Lannisters because the small folk love Marjorie. I mean, Marjorie is beautiful and she is part of the family that brought food back to King's Landing. So there's good associations with her. And 
by marrying her, they reconstitute Joffrey's image in the eyes of the small folk. Yeah, well, you can definitely see the effects of the positive PR, which we've talked about many times here in King's Landing, especially with Tyrion. You know, when the Tyrells arrived, they heralded heralded Marjorie well before she arrived, claiming that the food was brought on her behalf. She was having the food brought in. And, you know, as as this lack of PR effort from the Lannisters continues just book after book, <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if maybe it's not their fault. Being the richest house, accustomed to being admired and supported without having to put any effort into marketing themselves, you know, maybe they're just used to doing whatever they want and the small folk has to deal with it. Uh, and Okay, I hear what you're saying, but I'll, I'll go the opposite direction here. They, they, because of all those things... They have a fundamental lack of caring for the small folk, which the Tyrells don't have because the Tyrells actually come with hearts. And so they do care about the (laughs) plight of the small folk. They're not only doing it for PR, they're certainly doing it for PR, but they actually don't want the people to starve because they... Yeah, although, uh, as Tyrion points out, it was Mace Tyrell that shut down the Rose Road in the first place that exacerbated the famine. Right, but at the time they were fighting against, you know... Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the the small folk, I guess, are easily persuaded because they they're cheering Joffrey again, who is the same king that led a sortie into a hungry crowd and the same king that fired arrows into the mm. crowd. You see, Tyrion needs to mention the fact that he contributed Simon Silvertongue to the Bowl of Brown because right. that might have been a really good week for Brown. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Ugh. But, you know, Tyrion really is trying to reach out to Sansa in this chapter, especially, you know, we see it most prevalently in the ride in the litter from the Great Sept of Baelor back to the Red Keep. When he thinks to himself, I want to break through her icy cold courtesy. And he proposes that they go to Casterly Rock together after things calm down in the realm a bit. And, you know, I actually mentioned that before when uh, in the episode that uh, Rob and I did together as a alternative to getting out of you know this the the situation here at King's Landing it definitely has some merit at the time I thought it would be good for his mental health but now in this chapter we see that it would probably have been good for his the longevity of his life so you know and, and at the time, I had said, you know, him being the highest ranking Lannister in Casterly Rock, even if he would never, Tywin would never let him be Lord, would would be a positive for him, a new a new uh, a new place for him and his wife to maybe try and come to some sort of terms. Here. It is, of course, possible that they have sons, and if they had sons, Tywin might make one of them the heir to Casterly Rock. Sure, yeah, you know, if you think about it. Tywin has two options. He can name Ty- Tyrion, the you know his heir and the future lord of Castle Rock, and keep it in his nuclear family. He could, or he could uh, make one of his brother's sons, or well, I would say Tommen, but now it looks like Tommen's got another role for higher things. Yes. 
Yes, but if he wants to keep it in his nuclear nuclear family, he's going to have to go through Tyrion. That's the only way, the only option. Although they are still talking about marrying uh, Cersei off again, right? Oh uh, yes, yes, yes. That's true. Yeah. the The last name would change, though. That's you know, true. yeah, yeah, would, yeah. It would not be a Lannister that is the Lord of Casterly Rock. Yeah. I wonder if also Tyrion, sorry, Tywin worries that Tyrion's offspring would be like Tyrion. Oh, you know, yeah, maybe just just maybe. an assumption. Yeah, yeah, they they probably don't fully understand how DNA works exactly and, and such. Yeah. And you know. She does the thing when he asks her if she wants to go to Casterly Rock. She does her, as Genevieve mentioned in the summary, her I'll do whatever pleases my lord, you know, the the cold courtesy that she does. And he immediately internalizes her cold acceptance of the idea and, you know, wonders to himself, what were you expecting? When have you ever made a woman smile but with gold? That's just It's a tough judge for him to be viewing himself through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He probably needs to not base his own self-esteem on the way Sansa Stark treats him because she yes. is a child who has been forced into uh, an awful situation of which... Yes, that's exactly what I meant which he, by the tough yeah, judge. He is, the, he is the, the tip of the spear of that awful situation, even though he's not the worst part of it. Uh, yeah, I mean... Right, absolutely. Yeah, I, it just, you know... That thought, it it somewhat the thought that he has about himself somewhat explains why he's so associated with prostitutes and, and struggles to believe that Shay could actually love him and feels that the only way a woman would show interest in him is if she is paid to do so. Uh, you know, it it all kind of fits together with that thought he has about himself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean He's he's not going to attract women, you know, just in and of himself. He doesn't have to pay them as a prostitute, perhaps, but even the ones who aren't paid as a prostitute will be eyeing the fact that he's the heir to Castle Rock, or at least potentially the heir to Castle Rock. So, right. And the thing is, he's got charms, but he's never going to let a woman see those charms, apart from Shay. And right, right. he's already colored his own view of Shay by assuming that everything she does is motivated by money. We do get an update on the Riverlands uh, war and the war, you know, the overall war of the five kings, as the maesters are calling it. And it certainly seems like the rope is tightening around the Riverlands. Uh, And, you know, a lot of the lords from the north in the Riverlands were killed at the twins. uh, And but those that weren't will have a hard time resisting at this point. Right. Yes, I mean the, the the because the Lannisters have sided with the, sorry because the Freys have sided with the Lannisters, they have sort of like put a spear in the heart of the Riverlands, and there's no concerted force to hold back the combined forces. Right. Yeah. And really, only River Run is set up for a long siege. Yeah. And we we learn in this chapter that Seaguard has fallen. It seems like the black, the Brackens and Blackwoods would be in a lot of trouble because they're not in a place like River Run that's so protected by the rivers to hold up to a long siege. Given their um, history, one of them is probably selling out to the Freys and Lannisters as we speak. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, he met, we, we find out that 
Duskendale Maidenpool area is in, firmly in the control of Randall Tarley, which was never in any dispute until Roos sent 3,000 men there to the slaughter, which we've now assumed was part of his agreement with Tywin. Yes. And, yes. and the emergence of the Red Wine fleet being shipped off around Dorne to you know come up to the uh, eastern side of Westeros, it puts pretty much a hard deadline for Stannis. He must have a plan of action by Aye. then. Because, because he can't def- the Red Wine fleet's yeah. the yeah it's the second largest fleet in the Seven Kingdoms behind the Iron Fleet. So yeah. he can't defeat uh, those yet. No, he and if he just stays put on Dragonstone, he'll be starved out. He yeah. won't. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and you know the Ghost of Highheart hit another one right on the head. Go on. She she said that she dreamed the goat sat in a hall of kings, fevered, while a great dog descends on him. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I think I got it mostly right there. Uh, and we learned that the the mountain has taken Harrenhal with almost no uh, yeah. contest. Yeah. And that's where Vargo Hope was last we saw of him. So it seems like, along with Melisandre clicking on, on all cylinders, the Ghost of Highheart is as well. Yeah. Like the Wedding Feast, Sansa, Sansa does an interesting thing here because cause Sansa has been sort of like very sad and sort of subdued, but she actually mingles quite well. And Tyrion notices how good a job she does of mingling and how she is, she's the perfect lady and she would have been a good queen. Um, One of the people that we see at the wedding feast is Lancel Lannister, Kevin's son, Tyrion and Cersei's cousin. And he's still nursing uh, the wounds he took at the Battle of the Blackwater and looks terrible, apparently terrible he's got white hair and he's can barely stand up on his own what in the world happened to him sound like he aged 40 years in a matter of months just be being the tug of war between cersei and Tyrion could do that to anyone i would think well that's mm-hmm. true that's true that's possible uh, and then sansa um, talks to elena tyrell who is marjorie's grandmother and elena messes with uh sansa's hair and this is a point of interest because again coming back to the the Tyrells were quite comfortable with their daughter marrying a monster that monster died during the wedding feast was the hairnet involved in some way because Olena messed with it clearly yes so going back a bit just to remind people about the hairnet Back in Sansa 8 of A Clash of Kings, just after the, the Battle of the Blackwater ceremony, Ser Dantas gave Sansa the hairnet, and it, it's silver with gems of black amethyst from Ashae. And he told her at the time, it's magic, and it will give Sansa justice, vengeance for Joff's execution of her father, and take her home to Winterfell. Mm. Okay. And then... In Sansa 2 of A Storm of Swords, Sansa tells Dantas of Willis of the Willis-Tyrell wedding plan and that she doesn't need him anymore. And Dantas says the Lannister, the um, the Tyrells are just Lannisters with flowers and urges her to continue with the escape plan and reminds her to wear the hairnet to the wedding. Mm. Now, one more bit of information here. The Ghost of Highheart dreams of a maid at a feast with purple serpents in her hair venom dripping from their fangs so 
the amethysts there... may have been poisoned. Possibly. Mm. That's a lot. That's now, that's a know, lot of circumstantial evidence right there, McKelly. I'm liking this. There is. <laughs> you know, and, and like you said, Elena fixes her hair and messes with her hairnet in the throne room, uh, and then offers to take Sansa to High with High Garden with her after the wedding. So, but but it doesn't seem like Elena is the person that Dantas would be working with, given what because, he said about the know, Tyrells. Yes. And now we do know that Dantas said he's working with a powerful friend who wasn't in the city at the time that he and Sansa were talking. Um, but but they're working for op- they seem to be working for opposite goals, Dantas and uh, Olena. Like you mentioned, Olena wanted Sansa to marry Willis Tyrell. Dantas wants Sansa to escape with him on the wedding day. So Maybe it's just a coincidence that she messed with her hair. Maybe it's supposed to be some sort of uh, red herring that we're supposed so to. Or just a reminder of the existence of the hairnet, perhaps. That Ole- because because you do raise a good point that it feels like Dantas and Olena might have similar motives, but it can't you can't see them coming together to hatch a plan. Right, it makes no sense. Yes. Agreed. But of course, whoever his powerful friend is who's out of town, that person might have the in with Olena Tyrell. And so the individuals involved, let's say Sodontus says, you have to wear the hairnet. I have no idea what's going to happen to it, but you have to wear it. And Olena right. just knows there's an amethyst hairnet. You need to break off one of the amethysts and drop it in the wine. Yes, so, everyone has their own little piece exactly, of information. Possibly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but there are other alternatives to what who might have been the culprit if Joff died of poison and not of choking right. on a pigeon pie. But one other thing that happens in this conversation that might have been a little bit confusing for some people is Olena talks to Tyrion about dwarf pennies. Okay. She goes on and on about dwarf pennies and says it must be such a chore to collect the dwarf pennies and Tyrion says I leave that to others and she said oh I thought that would be something you'd be interested in doing what she's referring to is dwarf pennies is the name given to the tax that Tywin put on prostitution to raise the morals of the city and help pay for this wedding okay so you could see why Tyrion was so annoyed at her comments and wondered if her husband had intentionally ridden off right. the, the cliff. Right. Um, so, Just while we're talking about the potential murder here, let's just mention who was in the vicinity. So there are various okay. Tyrells in the vicinity when the death happens. Marjorie, Olena, Garland and his wife. Tyrion was, in, was close by, of course, and that's partly why Tyrion gets blamed. But it was his POV and he didn't do anything i mean unless unless he's a sort of jekyll and hyde character and only seen one half of him you would think that he would have mentioned i'm poisoning him now otherwise what's the point of a pov uh and sansa has seemed preoccupied the whole time but again we had her pov this morning and it does feel like she might have mentioned that like remember when she was saying oh look a cloud that looks like a castle i need a bath (laughs) <laughs> oh, book for Joffrey. I'm forgetting something, forgetting something. What is it? What is it? Oh, that's right. Regicide. Yeah. Yeah. It might have come up in her exactly. thoughts. Exactly. Yeah. So so I'm I'm giving Tyrion and Sansa a pass, which then, if you think about the people I just listed, that's 
all Tyrells. It's all Tyrells who were close by enough. If it was a local poisoning, if it was a sudden, you know, not the pigeon pie was poisoned by the cook, but actually something dropped into Joffrey's mouth. Right. Or plate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. Garland Tyrell and his wife, Leonette, were sitting next to Tyrion and Sansa. And he says, he seems, Garland seems to be quite a fan of Tyrion. He says something really nice to him about Tyrion in this chapter. He did so in the previous chapter. He's done, he did so at Tyrion and Sansa's wedding. So, you know, maybe, maybe he's, he seems to see things more clearly than many of the other lords. Right, true. So, you know, maybe uh, he felt his sister was not safe with Joth. And so, you know, set this whole thing in motion here. Uh, You know, Dantos was at the feast. So could Dantos during the confusion have been involved? And and as a fool, he would get more close physical access than most. So yeah, that's possible. But But he barely gets a mention in this chapter, which makes me think he would have got more of a mention. Or is it... Is it the subtlety of the fact that he was only mentioned? I think uh, Moonboy or someone was throwing something at him. That was like the only mention of him in this whole scene. But maybe that's the subtlety of it all. But you know who didn't do much at all to try and calm things down as this feast got more and more out of hand between Joffrey and Uh, everyone? Everyone, everyone, but especially Tywin, he didn't do much to stop the mayhem. And he, we know he's been planning a sharp lesson for Joff. Do we think he might have mm. thought this has gone, this, this boy is out of control, this boy can't be uh, ration, uh, can't be, uh, you know, his, his path is set and he's going to embarrass my house. I I need to take him out do we think that's something he would possibly do uh yeah that that is quite interesting because because in some ways his failure to curb joffrey seems in some ways out of character tywin wants things his way yes and he's willing to dress people down to make things his way but he's been he himself has been dressed down by joffrey and right certainly now I mean, Joffrey was was only going to be king. There was going to be Cersei was going to be regent, waiting for Joffrey to come of age. Tommen's even younger, so there really will be a time now for a regent to take the throne. Tywin might have ambitions on that, and who's going to miss Joffrey? I mean, even <laughs> even his grandfathers can't love that kid, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's a lot. That's like I said, like Elena messed with the hairnet, so you know the. The initial finger you you'd point to her, but there's other possibilities. It, it is very possible she the the hairnet could have been a her messing with the hairnet could have just been a red herring to throw us off the scent of the the true culprit. If he didn't just joke, Tyrion sees glance, Sansa glancing at Joffrey and wonders if she wishes she married Joffrey. He can't really think that. I mean, that must be the wine talking because. Joffrey's been nothing but ghastly to her and she's terrified and frightened and repulsed by Joffrey at this point. 
Yeah. When I read that, literally, I said out loud, oh, come on yeah. now. <laughs> if he truly, if Tyrion truly thinks that that's a possibility, these two are doomed. Yeah, yeah. And th- then the other thing that, that Sansa does in this chapter, which is interesting, is her reaction to Ilin Payne's new sword, which is not ice. She's like, well, that's the last person I knew was carrying ice. Where the heck is my dad's sword? And that goes right. to what we've been speculating about for a couple of chapters, which is where did the Valyrian steel come from for the sword for Joffrey and the sword for Jamie? Yes, it's certainly all all evidence is now pointing toward ice being yeah. the uh, the originator of the steel. Yeah. So the the dwarf joust is horrendous on many levels, of course, in particular because Tyrion was present to wit- witness it. Tyrion does make a zinger against Joffrey, saying that he'd like to fight Joffrey because Joffrey's the only person he could beat, which was quite funny. <laughs> it was, yes. I give him that one. Point to Tyrion on that one. Yeah, Tyrion is obviously rightfully offended by this jousting, and he thinks to himself, it's not the dwar- the, uh, the dwarves' fault. I will thank them and give them a bag of gold for their efforts. It's the plan it's whoever organized this that i'm going to thank in a different way when this right, is all right, over right 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 and uh you know i i wondered if cersei or joffrey if one or both were involved i assume cersei was at least involved but it seems more something that joffrey would have planned yes. c- because it's, it has the hallmarks it's more yeah. yes right so so what now for Marjorie? She's had two husbands, both swiftly taken from her, both marriages unconsummated, particularly if you believe the gossip. Uh, Tommen's next in line to the throne. He's a bit young for marriage. Uh, so what if the Tyrell-Lannister alliance? It kind of needed this marriage to forge it for good. And now this marriage is gone. Will they try and marry her to Tommen? Or is there friction ahead for the Lannister-Tyrell alliance? Right. I guess um, uh, a lot depends on where they go from here. If 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 infighting starts, you know, or, or was this planned all along? What was, were they, it wouldn't make sense for them to plan to back out of a, an alliance with the Lannisters because the Lannisters have gotten so much control over the realm now. Yeah. It would be tough for them to for the Tyrells to just back out of it all. Here's an interesting continuation. So Tywin assumes the throne as regent, and he marries Marjorie, And he sires oh. a whole new crop of Lannisters. Oh my goodness, I hadn't even thought of that. But then there's a succession problem then, because Tywin might want his own young kids to be the next in line to the throne, not his grandson, Tommen. Yeah, or he maybe he'd just be content with the... Having an official heir to Casterly Rock. True enough. True enough. So there's no evidence, actual evidence, that Tyrion was involved in this. We were following his POV. Uh, But there are some circumstantial things that do count against him. First of all, his history of threatening the Dead King. Uh, He's done that quite a bit. Secondly, Joffrey points at him as he dies, which is not a good look. Yeah, and Tyrion wonders, though, is he asking me for help? Is he offering me an apology? But someone else could look at it and say, he is fingering the culprit with that. And then the third thing is, again, it's not evidence, but Cersei's immediate condemnation. The first to announce the killer, often that voice will get heard. It ought not to be enough, but juries have convicted on less. 
can he talk his way out of this or more likely talk his way deeper into this? So what, but... His big mouth. He's mentioned his big mouth. But then <laughs> the, the the downstream implications of that, what about this? What does this mean for Sansa? Is this a chance right. for her to escape the marriage she never wanted? Is it a chance for her to escape, escape? I mean, is is Sodontus actually going to spring a plan to get her out of here as he's promised? And what if Shay... Right. Uh, let's assume that Tyrion might elude his fate. Would she be content to sit around emptying Sansa's chamber pot waiting for that day? Or is she going to move on because she is a mercenary? And she's young and beautiful and can if she if she chooses to. Yeah. Lot, lots of people have decisions to make because of this. Yeah. And, you know, is Sansa missing because she's escaped or was she just disappeared in the chaos and hiding under a table right 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 you yeah. know all right let's move on give me some background mckelly well i pulled together a little bit because i knew this chapter was going to be discussion heavy so Tyrion suggests that he and sansa leave king's landing for casterly rock after the war ends I mentioned that a minute ago and he wants to show sansa some of the sights of his home he mentions three the lion's mouth the Golden Gallery, and the Hall of Heroes. So I thought I'd just give you a little bit of what info I could find on those three uh, features of Casterly Rock. So the Lion's Mouth is the gigantic main entrance to Casterly Rock. It's a huge natural cavern with ceilings up to 200 feet high that is located on the south face of the rock. It can be accessed through a stone stairway with steps wide enough for 20 riders. So the Golden Gallery, that contains all of the Lannister treasures, including gilded ornaments and such. Valyrian steel swords. Oh, no, wait. Oh, no, no not, not, not at the moment, although they do now have two mm-hmm. in their possession. <laughs> but none of them are expected to be uh, held at Casterly Rock, right, I, I guess. guess not. And then finally, the Hall of Heroes. This is where the Lannisters and their close kin who have died valiantly are buried. Uh, The armor of Lannisters of old are also displayed in the hall. Reigns of Castamere are buried there? (laughs) They are not. Just checking. (laughs) All right, comparison with the television show. This is all mostly captured, of course. You can't really avoid this. It's such a hinge point of the story. But there are a handful of interesting nuggets I wanted to mention. As the High Septon says the words, Cursed be the man that tears them asunder. Olena and Loras Tyrell are in shot over Marjorie's shoulder. Oh. The, the High Septon also says Joffrey of House Lannister and House Baratheon in that order. Oh. <laughs> Olena fusses with Sansa's hair and jewellery while inviting her and Tyrion to visit her in Highgarden. Uh, it's not, she's not wearing a hairnet. She's wearing a, uh, it's a necklace. Uh, oh, okay. Joffrey gets bored of some of the singers and hurls coins at them violently. Marjorie looks troubled by this. Uh, the joust of the small people is made worse by there being five of them representing the five kings. Resley, uh, Renly is portrayed as flamboyantly gay, and Loras Tyrell storms off. Uh, All right. And Sansa gets to witness Rob being decapitated. Joffrey finds the whole thing hysterical. Tommen laughs too until he notices, notices that Tyrion is not laughing and then he stops. Uh, the Martells and the Tyrells are also not laughing. Joffrey does not appear drunk in the show. He pours wine all over Tyrion, 
certainly justifying murder. And Tyrion yeah. passes him the wine as his cupbearer, which he is christened for the day, and immediately thereafter he dies. So Tyrion is certainly close by at the time. But that's right. uh, that's what the TV had, the TV show had. Penetry Corner, I don't have anything for this, but 77 courses is too many. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. That They don't even have any of the the Northmen there. There's no Umbers or, or anybody who might actually eat 77 right. full courses. And, and, and none of them seem to be sort of like a little lemon sorbet to cleanse the palate, you know. <laughs> right. There should be at least 12 of those. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right. News and notes. Uh, we're going to have a live video chat for our Lord Paramount and Kingsguard sustainers. Um, we'll send you an email with specifics when uh, when we're ready for it. That's right. And we have a review. This was uh, a comment from our latest YouTube episode. And so I, th- I thought we'd read it out here because it was enjoyable to read. Uh, it goes like this. I was looking for a way to re-enjoy epic a song of ice and fire and stumbled over this podcast on spotify in the beginning i had to get used to the chatting by simon and mckelly <laughs> yeah don't we all the price you pay but <laughs> but in the meantime i'm enjoying their interaction and it feels like i've gotten to know them quite well yeah you have mostly yes yeah if you're if you've made it this far you uh you've certainly know, gotten to know us pretty well uh mostly listening while cycling to and from work, or in the evening while bringing my kid to bed. Now I've finally caught up to this last episode, and I'm having to wait for the next. Oh, no. That was... Uh, oh, I forgot to get the name. Maria del... Maria de, Maria de Vries. Maria de Vries. De Vries. Maria de Vries. Sorry, Maria de Vries. I forgot to give your name at the beginning. Uh, but it has motivated me... Not to further procrastinate leaving a praising review. Well, thank you very much. Their down-to-earth and open conversation is refreshing and entertaining. I will spare them saying they have great chemistry. We always enjoy hearing that mm-hmm. we have great chemistry. We do. So. Yeah. Never a problem there. Uh, the podcast is well set up. Great summaries, interesting discussion, funny. And I also very much appreciate the background provided with the characters and situations. Thank you both for the work and effort you put into this i'm looking very much forward to continuing listening and perhaps interacting on discord all the best from germany from a dutch fan thank you maria that is awesome um that is thank you very much i have to say actually that that could have been written by chat gpt if you said i'm i'm a dutch mother who listens to a uh uh, Game of Thrones podcast, it might have come up with exactly those words. <laughs> like, <laughs> mention the cycling, putting the kid to bed, you know. <sighs> right. But no, it's it's really nice. Thank you very much, Maria. Yes, thank you so very much. All right, it's time we put this one to bed. So, so long, Joffrey. You will not be missed. No, not so much. No, no. And, I... and all hail King Tommen. He's got to be better. Right, yeah. I mean, he's next in line, right? I mean, yeah. certainly it gives t- uh, Tywin more power and longer yeah. uh, reign as Hand of the King. Will he step in and become King Regent now mm-hmm. instead of Cersei being Queen Regent? Seems like he's not thrilled with the way that Cersei does what she does. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Bronn mentioned uh, a plan similar as similar to this ages ago. He mentioned killing Joffrey and promoting the more malleable, sweet Tommen. So, ah, you know, one more suspect. 
Right. Could have yeah. been Sir Braun. And does all this spell trouble for Sansa, or did she get away? I mean, she went missing at the end of the chapter, so is this is this good news for her, or will she be dragged down by Tyrion? Yeah, am I, re- am I right in remembering that the chapter ended with Cersei uh, blaming both of them, Tyrion and his wife? Did I? Am I making that up, or did that happen? I'm glad you came to me with that question, McKelly. Yes, yes, she did. <laughs> okay, I knew you'd remember. I knew. <laughs> I knew if any of us would remember, it was you. So she has been named as a co-murderer by right. the queen. So right, but she went missing. So that does give us the little, a little flicker of hope that maybe Sedantus is the one pulling the strings here and has got her out of there. Yeah, I certainly can't imagine Dantas being the mastermind behind the plan, but he sure seems involved. Is Do you think this was just a happy accident, this death at the end of this uh, feast? Or was it always planned? Because he told Sansa, it, the wedding, there will be chaos during the wedding. That's when you'll slip away. People will be distracted. Oh, they were distracted all right. They, they would have been distracted regardless. Right. Not as distracted. This is a whole, yeah, yeah, this is a whole other level of distraction. Yeah. The other big suspects for me are the Tyrells protecting Marjorie. But then also I'll say anybody with a conscience or a care for the realm. And somebody who always says that they care for the realm is Lord Varys. True. He very much uh, talks about that. And you know who else cares for the realm is Jamie Lannister. But he's not really on hand to do this. And he is the father of the dead child, so probably wouldn't be him. You know, it's it doesn't seem possible, but you never know. Yeah. Uh, but hey, like I, I said, uh, Tywin's interesting. Has... Yeah, that that's yes. that's that's made me interested now because he he doesn't. I can't imagine he takes the slights that Joffrey has perpetrated on him lightly. And right, you feel like he's tried to curb the worst of it a little bit. And then he stopped curbing any of it, kind of washed his hands. Yes. And then, yeah, and then it came to an end abruptly. And that makes you feel like he might be involved. You're right. He did stop trying to, mm-hmm. to uh, you know, do anything to curb the situation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good, good point. So it's real trouble for Tyrion. He's got so few friends left now. Uh, right. Garland Tyrell. They, he seems to be his friend. The only one, will yeah. he step up for him or will he? And even Gar- Garland Tyrell might move aside now. Um, yes. Right. Yeah. And is all this an opening for Stannis? You know, is he got a chance here now? Because yeah, I'll, yeah. there's chaos in King's Landing. Yeah, uh, it certainly doesn't hurt Stannis. But I would say as long as Tywin's in power, yeah, it should stay the hand of anyone else thinking of rising up i mean tywin single-handedly pretty much squashed this rebellion the the deal with roos caused the rout at duskendale which really uh, diminished rob's army the deal with walter Frey eliminated rob stark the deal with the tyrells ended stannis on the blackwater with heavy help from Tyrion. uh you know but if something were to happen to tywin that might be a game changer and next we go back to sansa so we'll find out where she's gone that's right. That would be good to know. It's good that we're not off to Essos or somewhere far away. Right. We'll, uh, right. we're, we're, we're staying right here. So that'll be, that's very exciting. There are four ways that you can help us. You could leave us a positive review. You could buy merchandise at ghostsofharrenhall.threadless.com. You could buy us a cup of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharrenhall or become a sustainer at the Lord Paramount or Knight of the Realm level. Uh, you could donate to our cause directly through 
the, our website, ghostsofharrenhall.buzzsprout.com. And if you're looking for more ways to interact with us, keeping up on the latest Ghosts of Heron Hall news and developments, well, check us out on our social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Ghost Heron Hall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and YouTube. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.